Well, now we're taking you back to the 1920s in the sultry nightclub scene in Paris. You're in a smoky gentleman's club where an exotic African-American woman, Josephine Baker, is performing the banana dance. She was once the highest paid female entertainer and most photographed woman in the world. But until very recently, there was a part of her life that remained largely unknown, her work as a spy for the Allies during the Second World War. This is the part of the story that Damien Lewis has worked tirelessly for a decade to bring to light, and it's quite a tale. To quote him, it involves <gasps> bribery, corruption, torture, assassinations, fake passports, currency trafficking, high society partying, exotic locations, stunning desert adventures, lovers' trysts, and much much more. It's all captured in his new book, The Flame of Resistance, The Untold Story of Josephine Baker's Secret War. Welcome to the program, Damien. Thank you very, very much for having me. <laughs> I know that everyone, you feel that everyone has written about Josephine Baker's time on the stage, but in order to understand this fascinating time where she disappears into the limelight of her fame to become a spy, we need to know who she was. Tell us. So Josephine um, was born in the, in, in the States, in St. Louis, and grew up in, in, in abject poverty, um, you know, stealing coal from where, railway cars when she was a child with her gang, uh, going to school barefoot. And by the age of 13, she had pretty much run away from school. And she tried to make her way to New York, seeking fame and fortune on the stage as a, as a dancer, largely, and also a singer, because she realised she had talent. And eventually, you know, through through hard work and graft, and boy, was she a street fighter. She actually made it onto the Broadway stage in her in, in her late teens, and she tried to build a career. And although she met with you know great reviews and rapturous receptions, the segregation in America, racial segregation, and the Jim Crow laws meant that she was always constrained. She could never really make it on the stage as a black female, and so. Um, at age 19, she was approached by an impresario a theater manager who offered her the star role in La Revue Negra, the, 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 the scene you've just described, which was a new show opening in Paris, uh, so it would take her to Europe. And she took a heart in her hands, sailed on a liner from New York to Paris and went out to seek fame and fortune uh, in the City of Light, which, boy, did she do. Uh, she was you know, hugely provocative, massively successful, rave reviews and she took not just Paris and France but Europe by storm London by storm Germany by storm and by the by the by her early 20s so 21 22 23 years old she was you know the most photographed woman in the world she went on to star in movies first black lead female role um you know an acclaimed singer so she was you know the true the real superstar uh, off stage and screen just prior to the war she must have been quite a sight. Um, uh, Mixed-race woman, uh, in part descendants of slaves. She also had Native American heritage and she used to walk down the Champs-Élysées with her pet cheetah, Chiquita, on a diamond-studded leash. But that was nothing compared to the banana dance. You'd best tell us what was the power of the banana dance. Well, I think, you know, Josephine, it, 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 the renewed, the Review Negra sought to um, subvert sort of kind of Western European ideals of, of the kind of noble savage. And so that's what they were playing up to. And the banana dance was basically Josephine dancing in, 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 in very kind of provocative, um, evocative form. 
and dressed only in a skirt of of of, of makeshift bananas. <laughs> you know, it's it's the famous image of her and uh, pearls, and, and, you pearls know, around her neck. Pearls around her neck as well, absolutely. And you mentioned the uh, the, the 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 cheetah, Chiquita, and the diamond studded leash. Absolutely true. But you know, Chiquita was also one of her stage animals. She had this exotic uh, menagerie of monkeys, uh, snakes, anacondas, and the cheetah, which she performed with on stage. And the most extraordinary thing about it is, when she became a spy in the war, they became part of her cover. <clears throat> wow. Um, how on earth did it occur to anyone to recruit her as a spy? So prior to the war, uh, British and American intelligence knew, absolutely knew, and tried to warn you know our, our political masters that uh, you know the, the Nazi, the invasion by Nazi Germany was coming, and France would not stand. It could not stand against the coming Blitzkrieg. Uh, no one was listening. No one wanted to listen. And the French and British intelligence services were woefully underfunded and woefully undermanned. And so they set upon this idea of of recruiting what they call honourable correspondents. These are freelance, uh, uh, you know, DIY spies who basically spy for love of country and for love of freedom. And uh, somebody set upon the idea of, of, of trying to recruit Josephine Baker now. This is what initially drew, drew me to her story 10 years ago. I could not conceive how somebody of such standout, universal acclaim, a, rec a recognisability could have served as an agent of the shadows. It seemed to me to be preposterous. But that was the very idea. The, the very idea was that somebody of such high profile, such superstardom, had the excuse to travel anywhere, see anyone because of her tour shows, speak to anyone, and using her very stardom as her cloak and her dagger, could could get could push intelligence missions through. It's it's hiding in plain sight. And the more I researched the story, the more I began to kind of realise how how ideally suited Josephine was to being that kind of a spy. When the New Yorker wrote up uh, your book, they they talked about it as vanishing into visibility, and she did it with a French intelligent agent beside her. He was the one who was supposed to um, give her the job interview for being a spy. What were his first impressions and how did the relationship unfold? Yeah, fabulous question. So Jacques Abte, Captain Jacques Abte, was a long-standing agent of the, the Dizien Bureau, the French uh, counterintelligence service, on their German desk. And when someone suggested that Josephine should be recruited, he was dead against it. I mean, you know, it, it was the spirit of the time, especially in intelligence circles. They didn't think women were suitable as spies. You know the story. And uh, over and above that, they believed that superstars like Josephine, and I'm paraphrasing, but they said words to the effect, would shatter like glass at the first sign of any danger. And so he was dead set against it. But his boss, Colonel Paul Paylol prevailed upon him and, and Jacques Abte duly drove to Josephine's chateau on the outskirts of Paris, expecting to encounter Josephine clad in a ball gown and jewellery and with a pet cheetah chiquita on a leash. Instead, he turned up, a voice cried from the bushes, hello, out emerged Josephine clad in a battered felt cap, a pair of gardening trousers and a gardening top with a can of rusty... Uh, a rusty tin can full of snails in her hands, which she had been gathering to feed to her pet ducks. As I said, she was always a lifelong lover of animals, not what he was expecting. And very quickly, she took him into the chateau and they sat by the blazing fireplace and they were served champagne. And he was treated to a close-up, one-on-one uh, -on -one of the Josephine effect. This was her ability, and I've had it described to me by people who were her dance partners at the time, um, as 
her ability to reach out from the stage to every single member of the audience, man or woman, and make it feel as if she was performing absolutely and specifically for him or for her to touch her audience is a very rare thing for a performer. And Josephine had it in, in spadefuls. Jacques Abte was treated to an up-close, personal uh, example of that as they sat at that fireplace. And he realised very quickly, my gosh, if we can harness that, if we could harness the Josephine effect to espionage, she will be a world-beating spy. And so, of course, then he had to pop the question. It's a bit difficult, isn't it? You know, you meet someone for the first time, hey, can we recruit you as a, as, a, as, a, as a DIY spy? But he asked her, he did. And she basically said, words to the effect, France has made me all that I am and Paris you know, has, has allowed me to thrive. I will give you know France and the and and this cause my life if I have to. So she was absolutely you know uh, in up to the hilt from the start. And actually, the more I studied the story, the more I realised Josephine was just waiting for this opportunity to fight the Nazis. She had realised for years, personally up close, what was coming, and she just wanted a means and an avenue to fight. Mm. So of course. They became lovers because this is a French story and that goes without saying. But that's not the most interesting part. Leading up to the war, she starts manipulating those around her who come to the gentleman's club who she encounters. And they're very higher ups, ambassadors from Italy, ambassadors from Japan. And what sort of information is she able to winkle out of them and how useful is it? Yeah, so the first the first missions she set by Abte, the Allies, London, France, uh, Paris, crucial to know what were the intentions of the Italians and the Japanese should Nazi Germany declare war. Well, of course we know that now, but they didn't know it at the time. They they had very little idea, and so Josephine was set the task of finding out. As you say, she had these marvelous inns at both both the uh, Italian and Japanese embassy in Paris. These fantastic connections, and within a very short matter of time, she she was able to meet up with Jacques Abte, actually driving her extremely luxurious Delage motor car through central Paris as they talked, and so excited at what she'd found out, almost crashing the car, getting arrested by a French policeman, flash who thought she was drunk, getting <laughs> but getting flashed the famous Josephine smile, realising it was Josephine Baker at the wheel, letting her off. They carried on driving. Jacques Abte's thinking, gosh, you know, she really has delivered. This is dynamite. But can I ever really control and harness and handle this 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 rookie agent? But 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 you know those first two missions she absolutely delivered, and of course we you know as we now know Italy and Japan had already set uh, their, their 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 sights on uh, a pact with the Nazis, and in fact the documents had been signed signed and sealed. Mm. They were just waiting for the Panzers to roll across the border into France. It became difficult um, once that happened, and um, once France was occupied, to get crucial documents and intelligence to the British. And she was recruited to do that. What were the ways in which uh, those documents were spirited by her across Europe and, 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 and sort of got into British hands? Yeah, brilliant question. Well, I mean, it, 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 it's almost impossible to believe now, but France fell so quickly, four weeks, that every single agent that, that Britain had in France, every single wireless contact, every single source went dark, went silent. There was nothing. Just after he came to power, Churchill called a meeting of his intelligence chiefs and said, 
get me back into France. I don't care what it takes. Operation Sea Lion, the invasion of Britain is coming. The Battle of Britain is coming. The Blitz is coming. We need visibility. We need to know what's going on. And so it was Colonel Pellol, because, of course, the French intelligence service had been forced underground. France was occupied. Or there was Vichy France, but still that was in collaboration with Berlin. So the French intelligence service had been forced underground. And Pellol and his colleagues were still gathering intelligence. And from June to September, they gathered reams of material. So the Luftwaffe air bases set to fly the, the missions for the Blitz and the Battle of Britain. The invasion craft massing to invade, invade Britain. The German agents being sent into Britain to spy on UK soil. The attempt by the Nazis, which was very successful, to get agents into Ireland, to use Ireland as a backdoor to invade Britain. All of this intelligence they'd gathered, but they had no way to get it to London. And so Jacques Apte travelled to Josephine Baker's chateau, Chateau des Milons in the Dordogne, where she'd set up her own kind of DIY resistance cell, but with no idea how to fight. And he said, this is our mission. We must take all of this intelligence, put it into your tour trunks. I will transcribe some in secret ink. On, between the music, the musical scores on your music sheets, but some of it will be raw intelligence. So photographs of landing craft, you know, raw signals intercepts from the Luftwaffe. We will take, you will take all of that material in your tour trunks to Lisbon, because there's a the neutral country, capital mm-hmm. of Portugal. The secret intelligence service had a, uh, a, a, a secret office in the British embassy there. I'm sure it still does. And we'll deliver it all there. And so Josephine, set up a bona fide, you know, tour of Lisbon where she was ab- absolutely performing, um, you know, on stage. And there were posters p- pasted all over the streets of Lisbon. Josephine Baker is coming. And, you know, believe you me, using that star effect, dripping in furs and jewellery and breezing down the platform through the Gestapo checkpoints and acting Josephine, being Josephine, she managed to get through countless checkpoints, uh, you know, customs checkpoints. And the most extraordinary thing is so many of these officials who should have been searching her luggage or asking questions, when they saw it was Josephine Baker, they ran to fetch their wives and girlfriends and said, come, 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 you must get a photograph of Josephine. So, yeah, that's how they pulled it off. I'm talking to Damien Lewis, author of The Flame of the Resistance, the untold story of Josephine Baker's secret war. Just briefly on this one, this was not without its risks. At some point, Jacques gives her a cyanide pill to keep in case she's captured because she's known to Hitler and she's known to his inner circle and the Nazis are not a fan. Not at all, no. So Josephine first uh, performed in Germany uh, in the in the Revue Negra, which we mentioned earlier, so in the early 1930s, and, you know, absolutely bought the house down. But she went later when Hitler had come to power and she was treated appallingly, horrendous abuse, and she had to leave within three weeks and abandon her tour because it was so horrific. So she'd, come, she'd had an f- up-close, face-to-face confrontation w- with what Nazism really meant. And so she was an outspoken uh, critic and opponent. And, to and this, this was, was just based on her race. That's what that was about. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Just based upon a race, nothing else. Um, and so Joseph Goebbels, the, the Nazi propaganda minister, actually did a, produced a brochure with Josephine on the front cover. And it was kind of this is the, the, this epitomizes the enemies of the Nazi state. So, yes, she was known to them. And yes, she knew exactly what she was risking. And of course, she knew. And let's be serious for a moment. She knew what would happen were her and Jacques Abte caught. You know, death would have been the best that could happen to you. Let me tell you. There were far, far worse things that the Gestapo and the SS did to people who spied uh, on behalf of their allies. So, yeah, they were taking their absolute lives in their hands. And they were they were inseparable on that mission because, you know, Josephine, to give you a measure of her 
her character, had said to Jacques Apte, I want to give you an extra um, uh, level of cover because Jacques Apte was under a, on a forced passport on an assumed name, actually posing as a former ballet dancer from Marseille, believe it or not, and her tour manager. And Josephine said, no, look, I'm going to put your name and accompanying Josephine Baker as my tour manager into my passport and your passport, which meant that were Jack Abte unmasked at any of these checkpoints, and there was a great chance he would be because, of course, he was called, he was a longstanding Dazian Bureau agent. So, you know, because Paris had been invaded and lots of files had been seized by the enemy, there was great fear that they had the names and the likenesses of all the agents. But if Jacques Abte was, 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 was found out during that journey, because she'd stamped in her passport, she, they were together, it would have incriminated her as well. And that was the nature of her courage and her undaunted spirit. Mm. There's so much more of this story to tell. I mean, right into the 60s, she's, she speaks at the March on Washington with Martin Luther King. She adopts 12 children. But that wartime story that so captured your imagination, how did it change Josephine herself, just finally? Yeah, absolutely fantastic question. So Josephine, before the war, was a, was a, the standout global superstar, but she was not you could argue, a person of substance. She didn't know what her life mission was. The war was the making of her. It was the watershed. Whenever she was interviewed after the war and people would ask her, what are you most proud of in your life? She would always say the war years because it turned her into a a, a fighter for freedom in all its forms. And that was for civil liberties, racial equality, the freedoms that we all cherish today. And let's not forget, there is a war in Europe at the moment as we speak, and we all know that. And so many of those scenes of, you know, artillery pounding cities are reminiscent of the Second World War. The freedom that Josephine fought for in the Second World War, we still need to be fighting for today. It's something we all need to cherish and we all need to remember. Mm. And she is remembered. Just give me 30 seconds of the French remember her. Just briefly. Yeah, she's absolutely, you know, she's an iconic figure across France. She's just been elevated to the Pantheon. So she's one of 80 something individuals, the highest honour of the French nation and one of only five women. So the French, the French have absolutely taken Josephine to their heart. Uh, she is an, uh, an icon of, of egality, fraternity and liberty uh, in France and rightfully so. Mm, what an extraordinary woman. What a, what a daring woman. And to recognise, even though she's sort of playing, isn't she, to this colonial imagination on the stage, this is a woman who's declared her own independence. This is a woman who, who gives her body in service of liberation because she fundamentally understands what that is. It's a terrific book. I hope it becomes a terrific film. Thank you so much for putting it together. Thank you very much. Thank you. Damien Lewis is an author, reporter and filmmaker and his latest book is Agent Josephine, American Beauty, French Hero, British Spy. It's published by Quirkus Books and published by Hachette in Australia. G'day, potties. If you can't get enough of Canberra politics and your missing Fran Kelly, head to The Party Room, the podcast where Fran and RN Bricky presenter Patricia Cavallis unpick the week in politics. You'll find it on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts.